Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This episode is sponsored by ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash PMP and download the ZocDoc app for free to find a top-rated doctor today. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, and you should try to replicate our stunts of conversation and reflection at home. Today, we're talking about the Jackass franchise launched in the year 2000 in light of the release of its fourth and final film, probably Jackass Forever. I'm Mark Lintonmeyer, and at the age of four, I rigged a tightrope to my bedroom dresser, bringing it down on my head. Hey, everyone. I'm Rolando, co-host of Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals, and a filmmaker based out of New York City Metro. When I was a senior in college, I chugged a bottle of hot sauce for a beauty pageant contest. Well, yeah. I'm Josh Casey, and when I was a kid, I would ride my bike down the driveway and wipe out in the grass at the end of the driveway as cars drove by, hoping they would see my awesome stunts. And finally, I am Maddie Goldberg. I grew up in New York. I live in L.A. I'm trying to think of anything I did that was stupid. You became a comedian. So, That's something. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. I'm trying to think of something I did that was really dumb, and I can't think, but I do love Jackass. Thanks, all of you, for coming on. This was harder to find folks who enjoyed the show or were enough invested in it to want to talk about it. And I'll briefly, my own background with it was I ran into it during its initial run on MTV, just thought it was the clip that I saw anyway, boring and gross. And what is this? But then when the movie came out, actually, my sister had undergone a personal tragedy and she watched the film again and again and again and thought it was just the funniest, most distracting goddamn thing in the world. And so that put me onto it. And I've enjoyed the films generally as they've come out. So Josh, my brother-in-law, one of the I've now had three Casey brothers on my various shows here, my wife being a Casey we watched this last one together. What is your background with the show? When the show came out, I was 20, 21. And at the time, I wasn't really watching TV. I was just doing my life, doing other things. And so I only kind of vaguely would hear about it. So I wasn't like an initial fan right when the show came out, but I would hear about some of the stunts. I remember hearing about Steve-O. Yeah, this guy would do like a backflip while blowing fire. And like sort of that was in my wheelhouse as like a circus juggler performer. So that was sort of what initially caught my attention, but then I ended up catching up on just sporadic episodes in just random reruns or something. You know, this was long before YouTube where you could just go and like watch clips. Yes. And I should just say, Josh has been the guy that is in the 25 years, whatever plus that that I've known you is just always like he did professional Frisbee stuff. He would do hacky sack. He would do the Diablo on two sticks and just like always something physical, which is completely foreign to me. Maddie, I'd reached out to Daniel Lobel, a frequent guest on here, and he recommended you as among his comedian's stable of friends, the guy who would be most appropriate to talk about this. What is your background with this? Uh, well, I'm a child of the 80s, so I think I was really mad at MTV when they stopped playing videos. Like mm-hmm. when I was one of those guys, it's like, this is terrible. What's going on? They're doing all these weird shows. And then one day, the show is on, and I'm watching people like do really weird stuff with skateboards and 
I remember one time they were like, there was like a flood and they had like a sled and they were sliding in the water and it was just like so wild. And then what MTV does is they show the same show over and over and over. So like just one night, I think I smoked a little weed and I just watched like four of them in a row and I got hooked and I just thought it was really funny and stupid. And you just turn your brain off and you just don't think and you just laugh. And that's what really connected me with it. The most elemental kind of humor. Is that related at all to like, I would assume your stand-up does not involve you're hitting yourself in the nuts. <laughs> no, my stand-up was a little more highbrow than that, but not that much. But I was always, <laughs> I always think humor is really weird where it can't really be measured in science. And some of the most elementary things are hysterical. Like America's Funniest Home Videos is essentially a G-rated jackass where we get a kick out of like a little kid taking a wiffle ball bat and hitting his dad in the nuts, and we all laughed. And just Jackass took that a little further. It was a little more adult where they were doing more crazy stuff. Even like their pranks, there was a guy that he would do the party boy where he would go into like a stereo shop and then strip. I don't know if you ever saw that one. He just started dancing. And like those stuff like cracked me up as well. And I just thought it was like, it was so stupid and it pissed a lot of people off. And that attracted me as well. Like humor that makes a lot of people uncomfortable to me is really funny. And Jackass really had that. So Rolando, before we started, you were just telling me how your own podcast, Remakes, Reboots and Revivals, you couldn't get them to do this show because the other two people involved would not want to sit through enough of it. Uh, what is your background with the show? For the podcast, it was almost like a hard no from my two, from my <laughs> co-host and my producer, who's my husband. And he just does not like this kind of cringe humor. I was the only one who was like a passive. I wouldn't even call myself a fan. I was just a passive viewer of the show. And I've seen some of the movies in theaters. Not a diehard fan, but I understand the appeal. I started watching this, I guess, I think I was in eighth grade or freshman in high school when I first saw the show, right? When it came out on MTV. I lived in a predominantly Hispanic area. So it was always, it kind of felt like, oh, is this what like white people are really like? Like, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Because it just felt so far removed from the culture that I grew up in. Just seeing like these just white guys, they're skinny. They seem like part of that skateboard culture, which we had a little bit like a pocket population of that in our school. But like, it wasn't something that I just grew up with. I grew up with predominantly hip hop and R&B or Spanish music. So for me, it was always like watching it and just like, I'm seeing white culture. That's what it always felt like growing up for me. So I know when Josh and I just finished watching the whole thing, you felt vaguely sick to your stomach. So Maddie, did, was this new film like a, you know, 100% on board? Okay, I was a little skeptical because I'm a big fan and there was a lot of controversy. I don't know if you knew like the guy, Bam Mergera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was supposed to be in it and he was he's going through a lot of stuff. Like he's got a terrible drug problem. They fired him and then he was like going to beat up the director. He was going to beat up Johnny Knoxville and there was all this controversy going. And I'm like, he's part of the chaos. Like, you need chaos in this movie. And these characters were always unhinged and crazy and reckless. So why wouldn't you have Minute? And I was like, are they going to water it down? Mm -hmm. And I was very surprised. I mean, the sketches were great or whatever. The, the skits were great. And the new people they brought in really worked out. And they were funny and was entertaining. And it's a very necessary movie in this time because we're so politicized. And this basically is like for everybody that we don't have to talk about like agendas or anything. We can just sit back and see people hurting themselves and doing dumb shit mm -hmm. to make other people laugh. And I think that's a very, very necessary type of humor. I understand the white stuff because I grew up in, I guess, suburban white America. And like some of the stuff we did as teenagers, we would do stuff like have hide and seek where we would tie somebody to a mailbox. 
And then we'd all hide. And then we would like tie people up really tight and stuff and do just do crazy stuff like that. And so like with Jackass, it's very relatable. Uh, Hispanic moms don't have time for that shit. Like they put the fear of God into us growing up. So it was always just fun to watch, but never do, you know? You know, since we're talking about backgrounds, until I was like six, I was in sort of the southwest suburb of Chicago and then moved to a northern more the one where all the John Hughes movies were filmed. But, you know, when I was down there in the south and, you know, I get the feeling like, oh, these are kind of shady kids. This is the kid that will shit in a bucket and then throw the bucket in the sewer drain. Like, I, oh maybe you shouldn't play with that kid. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, became it was very just like in Breakfast Club or something like that, kind of segmented by like I was not in the skater, the freaks, the druggy group. I was virulently, arrogantly against that's just all stupid. So like it was only kind of as an adult that I could reconnect. In fact, I'd go to my cousin's house and they would, you know, they were brothers. I didn't have any brothers would be wrestling. And I'd be like running from room to room, like avoiding them wrestling. Whereas Josh, I know that your family was much more, not uniformly, but at five kids like kicking each other in the butt and like just the kind of stuff you were doing. And now you have three like middle school age-ish kids that also were raised in a family of let's do pogo sticks and let's do all this crazy uh, physical stuff. Can you say something about how much this, not necessarily the, I'm going to mangle my penis in a, <laughs> in some sort of contraption, but the general, like, let's get in a shopping cart and push it into the river kind of ethic. Yeah, definitely uh, grew up very physically active and with quite a bit of independence running around the neighborhood with neighborhood kids and doing stunts in the terms of like, oh, let's climb that tree and then maybe jump from this limb to this limb or finding an abandoned shopping cart and riding each other around in it or tying your skateboard to the back of someone's bike and like cruising down the street. And then, you know, sort of those like pretty basic stunts, but you know, you could legitimately get hurt or Doing something where, you know, you make up some weird thing on your bike and ride it over a ramp and crash it into something. And, you know, sort of that very unstructured, just going outside and making your own fun, but very much centered around being physically active growing up. Uh, yeah, all that stuff that you guys are talking about, like, like I was, I mean, I was on the wrestling team in high school, but like, it wasn't until college when I started like hanging out with other people that weren't just part of my culture, white and Jewish guys specifically. And I joined a fraternity. Like, that's when a lot of this, like, kind of more abusive stuff started happening, right? I became part of the frat life, like part of hazing and stuff. Like, I was never hazed in high school and stuff. And then you go through and then you guys create a bond for life and stuff. So I understand the appeal of kind of like this abuse, right? That like this kind of like physical abuse towards each other. It just does create like a very, very fraternal bond that I do associate that, you know, it makes me think back to like these guys, like these guys are pretty much bonded for life with all the abuse that they have had to endure over the years. I also think like some of the appeal of like a horror movie, why they say people love it is you go and you have problems and then you watch it. and You're like, well, my life isn't that bad. <laughs> you know, like I just saw somebody get their head hacked off. And I'm alive, so I'm good. And I think there's appeal to jackass to that as well, is that you're watching people be really stupid. They're saying, hey, we're really dumb, and we're going to do really dumb stuff and hurt ourselves. And when you watch it, you go, wow, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. And I think they let people feel that way about themselves. And I think there's a, a small appeal to that that makes people feel really good inside. Because sometimes humor and sometimes comedians are trying to outsmart you, and they're trying to tell you they're better than you and smarter than you. And the jackass guys never do that. Mm -hmm. They're just like, we're as low as can be. We're going to do stupid stuff to make you guys feel better about your life. And I want to just jump on that horror and dread thing, because I think the creators and the editors of this uh, franchise 
they understand dread and terror and horror in a way that like i think some filmmakers don't because one of the things that they always cleverly do is like they always give us like we always know something's going to happen and you can see it in the eyes of these performers like they know something's up they always know but they say how to like commit to the end and you can only you always feel that palpable fear in their eyes when they're like performing you know when they're waiting for the prank to like finally hit its climax which i always found interesting like especially watching number four like these guys have been doing this for so long like they know when they were doing for example the musical chairs moment right like they knew something was going to happen but they kept saying it's like nope one more time keep doing around the musical chairs and stuff and there's that absolute dread that comes with that moment knowing it's like oh no something is going to happen <laughs> but what there's something about watching them perform these stunts, knowing that while they could break their neck, they don't. And you know they did, they don't break their neck ahead of time, even if they're going to be walking across the super fast treadmill in marching band costumes. And it looks super painful. And you know, you, you see that it's, it's hard to watch because you know they're going to hurt themselves really bad. But you know that they're not going to break their necks because you would have heard about that in advance and that wouldn't have. So there's sort of, there's that dread about how bad is it going to be? And then imagining and like all of these stunts, you can't help but sort of put yourself in their place and imagining like there's a certain amount of, could I handle that? What would I do in that situation? Could I ever do that? Regardless of whether you would want to, just whether you could physically tolerate it. Also things like we have to say Johnny Knoxville is a very charming guy. He's a lovable guy and he is the leader and he, he mm-hmm. makes everything kind of like these are your buddies and you feel sometimes like you're with them. So when you see a guy do a crazy stunt and they're all laughing, they make it feel like you're next to them and you're part of their gang and you're laughing. And he does a great job of that. And that's something that like people don't really see because they're just like, this is so stupid. But he's a very, very charming guy that, you know, could be like a talk show host or something like that because he. He understands how to bring it all in and make it so personal. Most of the guys, the ones that are memorable, all have that kind of appeal. Like Steve-O has that kind of charisma also, right? Where he's very, very charming on screen. Not when he's doing interviews and he's drunk out of his mind, you know what I mean? But like when he's on screen on these shows, like he's very, very charming, I think. Chris Pontius is another one. He just has a smile on his face for all acts. Uh, well, that's the, that's was, the stripper uh, you were, boy. were that's referring the to. Yep. Boy, yeah. Yep. Who me growing up as a young gay man, like, you know, in the closet, was just like, oh, this, I don't mind seeing this, you know? Because he is still pretty hot. Like he could still get it. I know, like him and Steve-O have aged very well, in my opinion. Yeah, Steve-O smiles all the time. So when you're seeing him, like, he's done stuff where he's put beer in his buttocks and he's like <laughs> laughing and you're, you're enjoying it because you're like, are you really enjoying this? And seeing the joy on his face brings a lot of joy to the, the viewers. You're making me think that showing the consequences makes it more narrative. It makes it more relatable that ideally, like if you're just seeing some little thing on YouTube, you want to see an epic success. Like that's a really cool stunt or an epic fail, which of course they set up a lot of these things, rocket skates or bullshit like this. Like, of course it's going to fail and a certain kind of epic fail you want to see, but you don't want to see it. If it looks like, even if you know the person didn't end up paralyzed, if their head connects with the ground in a horrible way, like I don't want to see that. But I appreciate in these films that, no, we have to actually show the consequences. Like, if we're going to show the success, not that it's super entertaining to see then slow down exactly how close this person came to breaking their neck and how much this is going to hurt afterward. But it makes it so that it's not just a little cartoon that happens and is gone. Like, it's these characters and their ongoing survival. <laughs> I don't remember from the other ones, but this film, they kept going back to the replay, right? Like they slowed down the footage and they showed you extreme close ups of like what is happening. 
making sure we don't miss when that pogo stick lands on that guy's uh, cup, you know, his jock strap. And like that, I mean, talk about utter horror. Like I was already mortified during that whole sequence. And then comes the pogo stick. I'm just like, no, this is, I had to take a break after that. I'm just like, I'm good for a while. One of the things that I found interesting thinking back about having just watched this movie, they kind of get lumped into this idea of a stunt. But what we're talking about stunts, they're not all stunts. Some of them are pranks. Some of them are more stunts. Some of them are just body harm and don't fall into either of those categories. Or some of them are just sort of gross out things. And you could describe it as sort of there's something for everyone. Like there's certain parts of it that I'm like, oh, that was really clever. Like that makes me laugh because of just the idea of the absurdity of the idea or the cleverness of you know, what they decided to do. But then some of the stuff, like I have no interest, like some of the gross out stuff, it's not even like necessarily fascinating to me, maybe from a human behavior point of view, but not at all in a find this entertaining point of view. So, but I imagine that's, it's like that for a lot of people where there's going to be certain aspects of the performances that they particularly like. Which ones would you consider the gross out stuff? I'm just curious. The pig semen, like the buckets and buckets of pig semen, like that's pretty gross. Anyone where you're physically watching someone retch. So I saw, I think from the TV show, it was Steve-O drinking a goldfish. And he's like, I'm going to drink it and then I'm going to throw it back up. But he can't throw up immediately. It's like quite a long sequence of him trying to throw up and throwing up some stuff, but not the goldfish. And you're just, it's like watching somebody yawn. Like you sympathetically react. This is why all the cameramen start gagging. Uh, But just by, you know, so that is, I guess I would have preferred that not be in the show or just like if they just cut it so that he just did it because he does successfully do it at the end and the fish is alive. And that's kind of amazing. Even in a sort of Mengele way, like I wish that they hadn't done that to a fish, but like I didn't want to sit through that actual experience of the heaving. Although I would argue that the heaving is actually pretty funny. I like I don't like watching the barfing, like the thing where they're in the the centrifuge and they're drinking the vomitron and like the barfing on per. Like I I could almost hardly watch that because I found that just so disgusting. But retching, retching is hilarious. You know, when they show the cameraman though vomiting, yeah, and they do that a lot, and that's a great effect because you're saying. This is so disgusting that we're going to like break the fourth wall and show the cameraman's vomiting like that just for the audience. That's like, oh, my God, this is this is level 10. And then they sometimes prank the cameraman and it's like anybody can get hit. Like something's going to happen to somebody at any time. And that's kind of the enjoyment of it. Yeah, they figured out the social aspect of having the group around as many of them as possible, as much of the time as possible so that anything could just expand, that they could actually be a prank on people who didn't think they were the center of the shot or somebody gets covered with disgusting stuff and then runs around trying to rub their body on everybody that's around. Like that's one of the funniest things that happens repeatedly. I struggled with some of the things with the pranks and See, I have an aversion to sort of being a victim of an unsuspecting prank, but they have this sort of combination where it's like they signed up for it. So it's not really like an unwilling participant, but they're still like surprised and getting hit in the nuts randomly. I never was part of a group of friends where hitting each other in the nuts was part of our friendship, you know, where it clearly that's sort of the base of their camaraderie and they're all sort of game for it. And so that to me is like a completely foreign way of having a group of friends sort of interact. But for them, it's just so completely normal and clearly has been since they've been friends. Well, there's also a loyalty too. It's like when you see somebody really struggle where they put a guy 
I think in the last one, they shot hockey pucks at him. He's wearing mm-hmm. just a cup. And they did yeah. that. So that was a really dangerous one. And I could say that, like, he was struggling with it, but he's so loyal to Jackass that he's like, I'm going to get through this. And when I do, I am going to get the clout for it because I went through it. And there's something about it where people respect. So when you're watching it, you're like, wow, he was really struggling, but he was so committed to this and he was so committed to the gang. I don't know. It does something to you watching it. Well, there's something about the, as a viewer, knowing that they're going to get through it and then they're going to have the support of their friends so that you kind of know like, all right, you're going to be okay because you've got your pals. And I kept coming back to this feeling of camaraderie and you see that that's also part of the enjoyment is seeing like how close these guys are. And the fact that they've been together and close in doing this for decades just adds a lot of weight to it as well, because this is just random friends off the street who have never done this, couldn't pull this kind of thing off. And it wouldn't feel the same if there wasn't that sort of history that they have. Yeah. And I think you nailed it in the head. I think it is all about camaraderie, right? Because one of the moments that stands out, for example, is when the guy who had uh, his nuts slap with like all the hockey sticks, right? He also ended up getting bitten by a, a tarantula, I think, right? And you're seeing him like scream. He's like, no, 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 no. But he's like, he says like, all right, just hold my hand, Steve. Just hold my hand. And like, you just think do a close up on like that hand holding moment. And I was like, that's so sweet. Like they really do have each other's back. It's so funny, right? Because thinking back before I watched the movie, I was thinking, it was like, I was trying to think of all the homoerotic elements of Jackass. And there are some homoerotic elements there, but I think it's just like the friendship is really what solidifies this, right? Like it's not homoerotic. It's not wrong to like show what's it called to hold your boy while you're getting beat up. You know what I mean? Like this is it's fine. Like these are normal straight men. And I think in a way it really kind of breaks down toxic masculinity in some weird, absurd way. Well, in a lot of ways, because there's a lot of male nudity and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of like, you know, holding each other's nuts while they're getting blasted by something. And it's wild to see how much unsexualization there is of the penis. It's just this weird appendage that they bang around and get stung with bees and flattened and flattened. And yeah, just all this abuse. So I think it was Jackass 2 where, again, Chris Pontius, who sort of does this the most, where he puts a mouse puppet on his penis and then has a snake tack it to try to eat the mouse. Like, oh, Lord. I mean, his member has to be numb. There's just no way. (laughs) Instead of talking more about penises, the pranks. So, Josh, you were focusing on the pranks that are against the cast members. So I think in Jackass 3, there's this opening thing with this giant hand, a comically giant hand on a big machinery that will just knock you on your ass. And they just bring in one person after another. Or in Jackass 2, there's a similar thing with a sign that has very small writing. And so they have to get their faces really close. And then, a you know, the big fist comes out and pound. And so those like immediately when they get hit, they're laughing their asses off. Like there's no downside, you know, if you don't mind that kind of humor at all, because they're not some of these other things where they just put a shock collar on somebody like they're actively like, fuck you. I hate that you just did that. Like <laughs> just furious at the whole situation. But then there's also this kind of like, let's taunt the public Borat style, which I have much like I couldn't sit through the bad grandpa movie. It's often people reacting to what they think is somebody getting seriously hurt in front of them. Or there were earlier skits of like, let's put a child seat on the top of a car and pretend that we're driving away. And people are just panicked. Like, I don't enjoy that. Even if they were laughing about it after in the case of Jackass 4, they show in the closing credits the people that were witnessing that stunt. 
Well, I think the first one, one of the funniest sketches ever in Jackass was they did a grandpa where he was with a little kid. He, he was with his grandson who was about eight or nine and his grandson was drinking and they were drinking together <laughs> and they were just, there was a guy that was like, yo, your grandson's drinking and he's just like, fuck off to the guy and they're going at it and it looks like there's going to be a fight and the guy doesn't know if he wants to beat up a grandpa because he's so old and he's confused and he doesn't know what's going on. And I thought it was just brilliant. It was just so awkward and uncomfortable and funny. And there's also appeal of like, you know, if your parents think it's stupid and they hate it as a kid, you're going to love it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, there's something like the grandpa guy is so like gross and awful that it just cracks me up. That's like hits my humor wheel. And I think it hits a lot of people's humor wheel. But I also understand why people don't like it. Let us stop for a little sponsor break. Finding and booking a doctor who's right for you does not need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be, refreshingly, a pain-free yes. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. So it is an app. You can use it on the computer, as a website. You could use it on your phone. When you feel like something should be checked out, you just go... Search among all the types of doctors. You'll see the ones in your area. You can read up on them. You can get verified patient reviews, see what other actual humans had to say about their visits. It's only going to show you ones that take your insurance. And right in the app, you can choose a time slot, whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you are booked. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I am one of them. It is my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In a chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that's surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com slash PMP and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash PMP. ZocDoc.com slash PMP. Bad Grandpa did become a movie. Was it a successful movie? Like, it was a lot of shit jokes. Like he, uh, okay. he shits I his mean. pants in a restaurant and it just splatters all over the place. <laughs> and there's just a lot of jokes where he, he gets boners and he's just like walking around with a giant heart on. So there's another one too where he just goes to like a convenience store in LA and he just starts stealing stuff. And he just starts so obvious. He's putting stuff under his shirt and the guy is like pushing him and it's so uncomfortable and they're so committed. Johnny Knoxville is so committed to the sketch that it works. And that's just my, I love that stuff. You know, it's kind of like a lowbrow Borat. Yeah. Well, that's much more like Borat than this old man has hurt himself or is degrading himself. In a, so I remember actually driving down the road with my, with my wife and there was on the side of the road, there was this old guy with like his pants falling down and like visible, like shit stains. And like, this is horrific. Like I'm feeling pathos for this person. And I think that's a similar thing. If I, you know, even though it was seeing Spike Jones then dresses as a woman in some of these things with like tremendous sagging breasts that are just out. And then it's just like in social situations, talking to somebody with a tremendous hanging breast out. And I would feel so bad for this supposed woman undergoing like i don't know i don't think if you then told me oh it was just a joke it's just a guy in a costume that i'd just be like oh thanks that you're right that's a hoot the actual degrading character of it as opposed to mere awkwardness which i'm much more okay with like if it's just like the blind in an early episode the blind driver so it was like a huge prank of like a guy with a cane and he gets in a car and he pulls it out and he almost runs over some guy, which is, you know, another member of the cast and he's smashing into other cars. And it's just like the people on the street and their outrage about this, 
Like that I'm okay with. Like nobody was traumatized by seeing a baby supposedly die in front of them or anything like that. The thing about uh, laughter is you can't really measure what makes you laugh. I don't know why I laugh at it. There is a beauty of that that you don't understand why it's funny to you, but it just is. The smartest thing that they do in these movies is that they give you a mixed bag so you can just choose from. And I didn't see this movie in, in the movie theaters because it's, it's hard, even I, even though I do a movie podcast, to get me to a movie theater nowadays because like I just like the control of being able to pause when I want to or do something else on my phone when I'm in a scene that I don't care for. And a movie like this is one of those things where I wouldn't want to see this in a theater because it's just like some of these skits, some of these like vignettes, I wouldn't care for. Usually, I know for example, uh, the one where, uh, what's his name? Machine Gun Kelly came in. I don't like Machine Gun Kelly. So I was just like, all right, I, I'm kind of like not really paying attention that much to it. The other one was Rob Dredick, where he came in. I'm just like, nope, hard pass. I'm going to go make myself a coffee and I'll come back. But in terms of the jokes that are revolve around like, you know, pranking people, you mentioned like a big lady with like some big breasts and one breast is hanging out. Why as a culture are we so afraid of just saying it's like, hey, your titties out, put it away. Or you know what we're saying is, or more importantly, why are we as a culture saying that's a bad thing? You know, like it's just a titty. I guess that's, you're right. It is different than like the old man has actively shit himself and is wiping himself outside, you know, which was more like the actual thing I witnessed then. Yeah. I mean, that is something horrific. I don't know. I guess the comedy here comes from like, how do we as a society like handle these things? Right. And you can like even get into a deeper philosophical question. It's just like, okay, but why can't these people intervene and do something instead of just like judging? Sometimes I think a lot of the humor tends to come from like these people just shocked and like in awe looking at like the, the stupidity around like usually Johnny Knoxville, for example. We laugh, some of us, but we, you know, shouldn't we also be saying it's just like, why isn't someone helping? Helping this poor old man, bad grandpa. I don't know. I think that is the future of it. So they had one of the other guests was Eric Andre, who I didn't get through his whole film, Bad Trip. I don't know if I got to the end, but it seemed like that was another Borat-like film that had a lot of unwitting participants. And it almost always showed them in a good light. It was like, this character is acting fucked up and people are coming to try to help him. And that was like, whether you're like Borat trying to show that people are callous and, you know, you're trying to make a point about them or like this, where you're trying to show it is actually sort of uplifting the way that people are reacting to this situation, compassion situation. Either way, it's not just a complete callous disregard for wouldn't it be funny if we did this crazy thing in front of people and see how they reacted. Yeah, interesting. I didn't know that. And I might check that out because I kind of like that idea, right? I think sometimes like a lot of those pranks can be so cynical. Because we're just looking at the worst in humanity when we do those. Specifically, like Borat comes to mind because he's using his skits as a political weapon and they can come out really harsh. But and that's another thing, too. If you're like a celebrity or they ask you to go on or a famous skateboarder and like you get punched in the face with one of the boxing gloves, like that's like clout. You know, like in Nickelodeon, I got slimed. Right. Get slimed is like a badge of honor. So to be in the jackass gang and be a celebrity and have them invite you and have them get pranked when you're getting coffee and you get punched in the face or whatever, that's like the greatest achievement for a lot of these guys because it's such a part of our cultural zeitgeist of a show. I'd love to get punched and then laugh with those guys. Are there, Josh, in your in your circle of juggler friends and the circus arts community that you've been in touch with nationwide, are, like... Do you feel like you're on the border of this or that it's just sort of a completely foreign thing? There's some sort of on the very outside edges overlap. And I think of things like sideshow performers or even like people that sort of like hang themselves from hooks, 
you know, and like as a performance, you know, so there's like the circus arts disciplines of skills and things, but there's also sort of the performance element of it and those overlap. So I, when I'm watching these things, I'm often thinking like, well, why is this entertaining? And it might, and part of that is why am I laughing? But some of the things are entertaining, not necessarily because they're funny, but because they're fascinating or clever or unique or, you know, empathizing with them. And some of the stunts are, have this sort of skill component to it. But what's very different is that in like the world of circus arts, we go to great lengths to not get injured because if you get injured, you might not get to do that thing anymore. You might not to actually go perform because you got injured and safety is always talked about in circus arts. So it's such a juxtaposition to see somebody doing a stunt. And I guess in some ways that's what makes it a stunt. But the other thing is about stunts is usually stunts are also very carefully crafted in order to not get injured. Like Evil Knievel isn't trying to wipe out. He's trying to jump over a hundred cars on his motorcycle, but he wants to land. He wants to get the landing and he's prepared that if he doesn't make the landing, he's got some protective equipment. The ramps are in a such a way that he's not going to get hurt. So it's really fascinating and hard for me to really wrap my head around is the whole where getting hurt is the stunt. It's not the byproduct of a stunt, but that is in itself the stunt. Right. It sort of depends which ones you're thinking of, but I'm like, I think it was in Jackass 3 where there's, I thought a particularly good sequence of there's a swimming pool and a ramp and then they have like a giant slingshot. So they're putting like, I'm going to be on a skateboard and you're going to slingshot me into the pool and I'm going to be in a wheelchair and you're going to slingshot like, and most of them just like the rocket skates or something like, you know, they're not going to work. Like the laws of physics don't work like that. But some of them do make it in and you're like, yes, like that was actually the point was not to wipe out. It would be awesome if everybody just jumped out of the shopping cart as it was going over the ramp and went right in the pool and didn't go out the other side and face plant. So the the failures are part of it. But like it's actually we are shooting. We are trying to succeed. That's an interesting point, though, because and I go back to the marching band on the treadmill. There was nothing to succeed at. Even if like with rocket skates, it's like, okay, there's no way this can work. But there's a little bit of you that says, but maybe it could. And then when you do see someone even come close to, or maybe they like succeed a little bit before they wipe out, that gives you a little bit of the joy. But with the stunt on the treadmill, what I really didn't like about that is it had no plausible, not only was there no plausible way of not getting hurt, there seemingly was no point of trying to not get hurt. It was literally, the point was to get slammed by a treadmill onto the concrete. There was not like a, well, see how long you can stay on your feet before you run into the brick wall. That one did stand out in the show as the one that is just like, this felt, not the show, the movie. There's no point. They're just like, they gave it a title and then just walked on that treadmill. And that's it. They do a good job too of like, there was one where I guess they're going to be shot by like pellet guns that are for riots. And what they do before it is they show, I forget which one of them, like Johnny Knoxville is completely committed. And the other guy that's going to do it, you see the fear. He's like, I don't want to do this. I can't do it. And then you see him getting coaxed into doing it. And then he does it. And then it's almost like, wow, like you accomplished something. Whereas like you're a father and you want your kid to ride a bike, can't do it. And then he finally does it. And you get that joy out of watching somebody be so scared and yet still wants to do it. And they capture that. And that's part of like the magic of the show as well. Yeah, we should say that. I mean, Josh, you were saying that some of it is just informative. It's not even like thrilling, but I wonder what would happen if, and that was the entire premise for the show is the first thing that Johnny had pitched to this skateboarding magazine is I want to get shot 
in the chest while wearing a bulletproof vest. I want to get shot with a stun gun. I want to get shot with a taser. Because these are all things that supposedly police might do on people. That pellet gun in particular, they said it was used outside embassies to keep people who are trying to get in the embassy away. That this, these are supposed to be non-lethal means. And just to see, like, these are actually terrible. <laughs> like, yes, they didn't die, but they're not harmless. That's pretty informative. And likewise, what would happen if this animal bit me? You know, as long as they have appropriate experts there, you don't want to know what happens if the super venomous cobra bites you. But what about a defanged cobra? What if that like as long as you have appropriate supervisors, like it's interesting to see worst case scenario when. (laughs) Well, there's a certain amount of them experiencing these things. So you don't have to sort of that vicarious. Oh, I would wonder what would happen if there was this giant vulture eating raw meat off my naked body. There was one, too, where I guess they were doing a contest. So they were on like a swing set of some sort. And then a bull comes. And whoever lasts on the swing the longest wins. And this bull is just ramming into it. And you see the fear of God in all of them, except for Johnny Knoxville. And he kind of stays as long as he can. And when you're watching it, you're like, what is he thinking? Like he actually, you know, we all have fight or flight where we're just instinctually run away when a bull is going to kill us, maim us. But he's staying there as long as he can. And that's like such a great appeal. I don't know. There's like, you're watching a guy being very talented at what he's doing. The Toro totter, I think. Yeah, it was like a four-way your totter. (laughs) And there is a talent to staying there and not running out. Because when I was watching that, I'm like, like, what are you doing? Get the hell off the thing and get out of there. Mm -hmm. And he stayed as long as he could. And he almost knew like to make this movie good, I have to stay on this as long as I can. And that's like when you're watching it, there is like vicariously like I could never do that. I would never even participate in that. I got a question for everybody, right? Because what you just said, right, about there is some talent there. I could never do that. What about the influences that this show has on the people who say, I could do that? And that's scary as hell because there are copycats. And, you know, you've seen in movies, there was that football movie where they did a game of chicken where guys would like lie on the road and cars would pass them. And then a couple of kids died. I forget what the movie was called. It's about college football in the 90s. Wow. Okay. But that happened. Seen movie. I think it was called The Program with James Caan. And, and then you're seeing like, you know, they say like, you know, don't do these stunts. These are professionals. And if I was a parent and I had a 15-year-old son and he loved the show, it would put the fear of God in me. It really would. Because these are really freaking dangerous stunts. Well, and especially in the world of TikTok and these sort of TikTok challenges and these stunts. And then you see, yeah, some 15-year-old kid is like, oh, I'm going to try that. Or they try to emulate the relationship that the jackass guys have with each other with their own friends. But there's a sort of consent issue and doing a prank on somebody thinking that, hey, this is like a jackass prank. But what they're not maybe realizing is that there's a whole level of consent involved with the jackass guys. But also they have an ambulance off camera and they have medical personnel and they have, even though things seem really haphazard, I'm pretty certain that they're very well thought out in terms of like, okay, what's the worst that could happen as opposed to some, you know, teenage kid just deciding to randomly swallow a bottle of tax or something. Right. And that's the problem. And I think the fear now with social media tends to be like, I'm not saying that this is a problem that's happening right now, but like, because I'm not into like that kind of like self-harm kind of TikToks. But for example, I'm in the food TikTok world and everyone's just trying to one up each other. So I can only imagine like for the same thing happens, the people are trying to emulate these jackass stunts. They just start becoming like worse and worse, like harder and harder stuff. You know, they higher extremes for more views and stuff. And, you know, at least the jackass guys, they had a franchise, but I don't know if these TikTok 
people are going to get the same kind of fame and notoriety. So it's just not, it's not worth it, guys. Well, that's <laughs> the know? thing too. I mean, like I said, Johnny Knoxville, who's the leader of this, is very charming. So you can do stunts all you want, but if you're not charming, and you don't win people over, it doesn't work. I'll never forget, there's one where they had a professional football player just drill Johnny Knoxville. Like, he was, like, quarterback, and he just gets smoked. And then he says to the guy, like, next time you do it, don't hit like a woman. And it was a really funny line. And I don't think, like, an amateur kid has the charm of what these guys do or the charm of Steve-O or Chris Pontius. And that is a great appeal of the show. Like, yes, they're doing crazy stuff, but they're also really, really lovable and charming guys. Well, I also really appreciate the high budget stuff that bookends the movies of let's use green screens and use wires and create these, you know, like the end of was a jackass three that had the flood, the explosions of everything blowing up. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just that was just objectively entertaining. I don't know if it has the effect of making the whole thing seem more like an actual circus, like nobody's going to. I'm going to go home and work with lions myself because you don't have a lion mm-hmm. <laughs> like or, you know, do these things that involve so much. How many kids like I'm going to go home and eat fire? Like, what the hell does that even mean? Like, do you know what equipment they use? Like the more fancier you make it, it seems like the less likely that you're going to get copycats and have this whole issue. If you make it more of a, a world of fantasy and very expensive props, like the giant hand that slaps people is a fundamentally better gag, as far as I'm concerned, with than Bam Margera just going up with a boxing glove and hitting you in the face. Like, I am not as into that, other than that they filmed it at super slow motion. And so that was the technological innovation is discovering this camera, I guess, that would just like stretch out one second of time to 30 seconds of footage that they could use that to watch people jiggle around. So that's something that is interesting in itself. And again, not really replicable by your average person wanting to try stuff. Right. But now, now that kind of broke my heart because doesn't that make them sellouts to like what the original <laughs> form was? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the higher the budgets have gotten, the more elaborate these pranks have gotten, the more it's just like, oh, I mean, part of the charm of the original Jackass, I think watching it as a kid was, oh, anyone can do this. We shouldn't, but anyone can do it. And now to your point, it's just like, you're right. They do have these elaborate budgets. Not everyone can do that, I guess. Just the rich kids. On TikTok. They're out there, you know. Get your celebrity uh, skater friends to come. Yeah. Like, that's part of the, <laughs> their big Hollywood unit. One thing we haven't really talked about, we sort of talked about, Rolando, you said I, you wouldn't want to see this one in the theater, but you did say you went to some of the others in the theater. And so it was kind of like with Josh and I seeing this one together, that was like the only thing that made us both actually sit there and watch the whole thing more or less without pauses. There might have been a couple seconds here or there, but like to see it as it was actually intended. And even that, like, Okay, the first few sketches are very funny. We're laughing a lot. And then you get tired. And it's good that, you know, they break things up by putting a prank and having different kinds of stuff. And it's very good editing. I'll, I'll give them that. But it's still not as, as an hour and a half experience. I don't know. It has something in common with Monty Python's Life of Brian or something like that. These things that are so funny that you, you laugh yourself out in the first 20 minutes. And like just the human body is not made to stand this. So I feel like it's almost better to see it like on YouTube as a little five minute thing. And then you can fully appreciate it as opposed to this theater piece. What do you guys think of this as like a movie format? I mean, the last one I saw maybe about two weeks ago and it went by fast, like the 90 minutes just flew to me and it was entertaining mm-hmm. and they still keep it simple. I mean, I was very skeptical about it because, you know, I'm a firm believer of like, you're part of like a generation or you're, 
let's say they're part of the 2010s. Like when we remember the 2010s, we think of Jackass. Mm-hmm. So when sometimes you try to bring something back, it's like a band that breaks up and then they come back and they kind of suck. And you're like, they should have just stayed broken up because they were so good. And now they're just trying to make cash or whatever. And I thought the movie worked. I was really impressed. And I'm going to even say, keep making more. You got a few new characters. I think Steve-O and Johnny Knoxville have a few more years in them to do stupid shit to their bodies. I think they have a one or two more to really hurt themselves. And that's what they do. It's like Tom Brady has to keep playing football because that's all he knows. And it's dangerous because he's 46 years old. But these are what these guys do. And it works. Real quick, I have a question for you, Ben. Do you want these guys to keep doing these things until like they've hurt their body to the limit. Like, is that what we're craving? We want to see these men just broken. I just saw the Tony Hawk documentary. So it's kind of parallel to the jackass world. And what you learn in the Tony Hawk documentary is that at 54, he's still trying to do these crazy tricks and you're like, he's got kids. He's got all these concussions. Like, what are you doing? But what you learn is like, this is how I live. Mm -hmm. I am not alive. If I can't do these tricks, and I feel like a lot of these guys, like Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, like, this is what keeps them alive. And you can't really stop somebody that does that. So you're like, well, this is going to end someday. But I really felt like they did a good job bringing in the new people. And I was, like, skeptical about that because I love the original guys. And it worked. About those new people, we haven't talked about that real quick. I just wanted to point out that this is, like, the most diverse I've seen Jackass because up to this point, all I remember is like the white, predominantly white cast. I don't think there were really any people of color. This is the first time I saw like actual black people participating and a woman. And I was like, my mind was blown a little. I'm just like, oh, we're like, we are in the 2020s now, guys. Like Jackass has a woman involved in these pranks. Feminism one. Not necessarily like a uh, MMA fighter woman. Like she does. I'll let a scorpion bite my lips trick, not sock me in the head trick. I have no strong feelings about Oh, I'd love to see more women get socked in the head. Like, no, no, that's not that's not the sentiment. But yeah, I I know her. Her name is her name is Rachel Wilson. She's a really funny comedian. And I guess like somebody saw her and was like, hey, you want to be a part of this? And it's like a club like, hey, you want to join the Hells Angels or do you want to join this? And it's exciting. And I'm sure, you know, I know like she posts a lot about it on social media. It's like a badge of honor. Yeah, it's like. You were picked, and they have done a good job. There's a new guy. I don't know his name. He's a black dude. His father is in a lot of the sketches. And what Mm -hmm. they figured out was, like, his dad is really funny. His dad is really charming. Let's use him. And his dad is great in it. There's things where you can just be like, this is dumb. This is crude. This is the lowest common denominator comedy. But there's little things they do that is so well done that, like, you don't pick up. It's even like the thing with the fist and the punching. They build it. So a couple of guys get hit in the face and then the last guy, they have him carrying like all, everybody's food. They get him like, hey, carry all our food. And then he's the last guy. And that's like the big shebang because all the stuff goes and it like builds and builds and little things they do like that really makes it good. And that's why anybody doing an amateur thing of it or trying to do it on TikTok, it's just not going to work. You have very smart people doing this. We should give some sort of closing thoughts. I was not sure that I should do this topic, but I was fascinated. Like, why are people so into this? Why is this such a thing? Why is it so polarizing? And then even after just on Sunday or whenever it was Monday, seeing this with Josh, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to, that's probably enough for me. But then I ended up watching like the rest of the movies or chunks of them, the parts that I hadn't seen yet in some of the series in the last three days. 
I think I've had my fill for now, <laughs> but I guess I get it. And I'm glad that I experienced enough to know who all the names are. Like I hadn't known more than Steve-O and Johnny Knoxville and maybe Bam. And that was it. And now feel like I have a much better sense of like what this landscape is and who these people are. And, and it was also very helpful. I should say, I listened to a, a few podcasts. So there's one called The Jackcast where they go through every Jackass episode. And these guys just love Jackass. They just like, it was so formative for them. They were skater guys and like, oh, this is who this is directly aimed at. Maybe not me exactly, but I can appreciate it and, you know, feel like a little closer to that kind of person now having gone through this. Yeah. I mean, I think as a, not a, as a species, right? Humanity, we've always like kind of been drawn to like violence against other people. I mean, look at the Colosseum in the Roman times, you know what I mean? Like we crave this kind of stuff. So not much has changed like as a species overall. So I think that's why it has that appeal. That's why even as divisive as it is, like people still want to watch this kind of content. They still like to see people get hurt, you know, get smacked in the nuts and stuff. So I understood the appeal and stuff. And that's why I'm glad I was able to talk about it somewhere, right? My podcast won't cover it. Well, damn it, I will find the one that does. If it were just like people have always liked to see other people suffer. And so dog fights, just torture, porn kind of movies, like that would be one thing. But the fact that this is so, especially, you know, the more it's gone on, like that we're only hurting the people that are involved and have consented and are on the team. And it just seems a fundamentally different thing, like a way of maybe it is that old cruelty thing, but it is so carefully channeled now into a friendly, <laughs> merely masochistic as opposed to sadistic uh, package. Yeah. So that seems like an advance that this franchise has, as opposed to just, again, seeing a random thing on YouTube of somebody that got fiercely injured, which is more concerning to me than entertaining. Yeah, none of that appeals to me. The group is so important. And the thing about comedy is like, it can't be measured. You don't know why you laugh. There's no scientific hypothesis of why we laugh. And it's the most basic form of laughter, of just the most simplistic thing of somebody hurting themselves, somebody doing something really stupid to themselves. It elicits laughter. And they've managed to entertain a lot of people. And I think there's a beauty to it. And I think they've said like, hey, we're going to dumb ourselves down and make ourselves look stupid so you guys can feel better about themselves. And there's a giant appeal of that. And that's why I think it's been successful for 15, 20 years. One of the things that makes an impression on me is just the returning cast. The fact that the core cast are back years later says a lot about just their willingness to continue to be part of this. And it has a lot of legitimacy to it as opposed to just someone getting paid to hurt themselves. You could see a group of guys getting hired to like do stunts. And it's like they walk away with a paycheck that would feel very differently than these guys that are all friends and have been doing this for two decades. And they're back for more because that's like, Maddie, what you're saying, like, that's what they do. One last thing about Johnny Knoxville, because I'm seeking to praise him. I think he does the craziest stunts and I'm going to compare him to Michael Jordan. And one of the great things Michael Jordan says in the documentary about the Bulls is I get on my players, but I, I don't ask him to do anything I wouldn't do. Mm. And that's what Johnny Knoxville is. Like he is the most dangerous and that's why they're so loyal to him. And that's why this show works. All right. Thank you so much to all three of you for your perspectives on this. I will link to your, your stuff from the blog post associated with this at pretty much pop.com. I'll talk with all of you a little more on the uh, after show. Folks can get that at patreon.com slash pretty much pop or look for the support link on the site. Thank you, listeners. Bye, everybody. 
Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. You can also now get all the bonus content directly through Apple Podcasts by signing up for a paid subscription there, which gets you ad-free episodes and extra talking not only for Pretty Much Pop, but also for my other podcasts, Nakedly Examined Music and Philosophy versus Improv. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life Podcast Network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.